Welcome to another episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Today, the MedTech experts are joined by Scott Senti from AngioDynamics. Scott entered AngioDynamics in 2005 as a sales representative serving the Carolinas. He served in a variety of positions, culminating in his most recent promotion to Senior Vice President and General Manager of Endovascular Therapies and Peripheral Artery Disease. He continues to play a pivotal role in steering the company through an intentional transformation with an emphasis on his endovascular technologies business. His strategic insights and commitment to innovation have been instrumental in accelerating AngioDynamics growth and expanding its market presence in these focused areas. Under his leadership, the company has solidified its position as a global leader in minimally invasive medical device and technology and helping providers advance care and wellness through innovation. Let's listen in to learn more about his insights. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the MedTech Business Academy, uh, sponsored by the MedTech Experts. This is a really exciting episode. Uh, very fortunate to have a very good friend of mine, Scott Senti from Angio Dynamics. Uh, you heard his very impressive bio uh, in the beginning. Uh, Scott and I actually started out as competitors. Um, and then that turned into a, a relationship of mutual respect and friendship, I think. Uh, I probably consider Scott more of a friend than he likes to consider me a friend. Um, and based probably on our current uh, career trajectories, I'm probably going to end up working for Scott in three years as he becomes CEO of the world. So uh, this is also an interview. Uh, very excited for myself uh, for this opportunity. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, Scott. We wanted you to come on because you are in a unique perspective. Um, the portfolio of products that AngioDynamics represents is pretty diverse. And although you you focus on one particular division, you've worked cross division, you work closely as an organization across division. And based on that, we wanted to get your thoughts as it relates to capital equipment in particular, but also just globally, what are the things that you're seeing today in 2023. We're recording this late July. We're still in the midst of 2023. Um, from everything that we're hearing, there's a great unknown still happening. Is that what you're seeing? And give us a little bit more of your perspective. Yeah. So first off, real quick, Skinder, I just want to say thank you to you and your team for uh, for having me on today. Um, uh, yeah. You know what? I We, we do have a, a past history together. I always looked up to you both figuratively, physically, <laughs> and, and literally. Uh, it was fun to compete with you, uh, and and somebody I always respect. So for uh, for me to have this opportunity, I just want to say thank you for that. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think you mentioned a little bit about uh, Andrew Dynamics and sort of the diverse portfolio. I, I like to sometimes think that we're a junk drawer of items. Now, my boss, CEO Jim Clemmer, <laughs> likes to put it a little bit more elegantly than I do. He says we're more like a department store, right? Uh, Mid cap conglomerate, but it's what we've started to do is really transition and help provide clarity to really our investors, but probably more importantly to our customers, right? Who do we wanna be when we grow up as we transform? And so part of the business that I have is really the endovascular side. I have both arterial, so for PAD, which does include capital equipment there, it's a it's a laser that we acquired about four years ago from an Israeli-based startup. Um, and then on the other side, certainly a med tech, uh, you know, I, I would say high ASP, um, a little bit low volume, but high ASP uh, disposables. 
You know, I would say in 2022, the number one question we were getting from a lot of the uh, analysts during our earnings calls and, and the investors is, hey, are procedures coming back? Certainly in the cardiovascular side of things, right? Elective, elective procedures, ORs, the hospitals were really trying to figure out from a customer standpoint or from a patient standpoint, hey, what's critical, what's not, still coming out of that COVID era. So in 2022, it was all about, hey, are procedures coming back? Where are they coming back? And what procedures are happening and everything else? Because they wanted to see, hey, is your business able to maintain sort of a healthy sort of cadence of procedural volume? Uh, and I would say so far in 2023, those questions have changed from the procedural volume to now uh, inflation, right? So supply chain, uh, supply costs, raw materials, uh, much like we show up to go to the grocery store, right? It's the talk of the town or the, the, the time where, hey, everything is everything is going up in price, everything. Uh, and same with us, right? It's, it's something that we are not that surprised by. But it was an unbudgeted sort of cost and expense to our organization, much like I think others. And so what you're going to start to see, and it's funny because the timing of this podcast is directly in the middle of everybody starting to report Q2 earnings. Mm -hmm. We're on a little bit of a different fiscal year. So we just got done Q4 and we're, we're now in, a, in our FY fiscal year 24. But they're always talking a little bit about something different, but they're, they're, they're always mentioning supply chain costs labor. Do we have enough people in the plant to manufacture these products? Um, you know, back orders are certainly something that that a lot of people are talking about. So it's it's shifting, but the one common denominator and parallel between 2020, 21, 22, and 23 is it is a ever-evolving, very dynamic, and very complex uh, space right now in healthcare, med tech or provider or, uh, you know, end user. It's a lot. Do you think, I guess, what's your projection for 24 since you're already, since you're a year ahead of us, um, what's your thought on 24 and 25? Do you, it's, healthcare is complex, but do you think that it's going to end up calming down a bit? Do you think that we're going to see some sta stabilization there or is it only going to get worse? No, actually, I, it's a great question, Scott. I think um, I think it's it's definitely going to stabilize. I think as more people start to find their footing, right? You're moving from, okay, COVID was, no one had ever experienced that before. And then you moved into, okay, well, procedural volume, when are they going to come back? Elective versus emergent and everything else there. Now it's just, again, it's a little bit of a surprise, but we should have been a little bit better. And I'm not talking just angiodynamics. I'm talking sure. med tech in general. You know, we shouldn't be that surprised that we knew uh, raw materials, supply chain costs, everything else is going to be going up. And it's just making sure that we manage it appropriately mm -hmm. uh, while still understanding, again, the regulation and policy. We feel as though just depending on, and I'm not trying to bring politics in on this at all, but it, it is relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Depending upon the administration, who is allowing maybe less regulation, right? Maybe faster to market uh, through the FDA and, and, and even from an insurance perspective versus maybe a different administration. I think that's going to be next that we're continuing to think about and look through because for any med tech uh, manufacturer, uh, as much as we always focus on how can we help advance patient care and wellness uh, through innovation and technology, mm -hmm. you, you can't be independent of just that without thinking about, okay, well, how's it going to get paid for, right? What are the hurdles we have to jump through as far as evidence that we have to prove on how safe and effective this is? How is it going to be adopted with physicians, right, who are now employees of the hospital system who may or may not have as much influence, right? So, really understanding all of those bits and pieces today 
versus back in the day, it was just about, hey, get an indication, safety and efficacy, put together your value or economic value proposition, Mm -hmm. and you're ready to go. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. The thing of it is you may be ready to go, but on the provider side, they've lost margin over the past few years. And margin is what they use to pay for capital. So they're behind the eight ball a lot. The the interesting story that's out there right now is it's like the tale of three different stories that providers and manufacturers such as yourself are uh, reporting that things are really looking good. The insurers are going, we're dipping into our reserves because we didn't really plan well. So there's a lot of that dynamic going on. So are you running into situations, especially that it's the capital part that has always been um, tricky to begin with? Because usually you start planning for capital as a provider a number of years out. And those years kind of evaporated uh, the last few. So what are you really seeing or advice out there about uh, how to sort of break those sort of uh, structures out there that exist today? Very well said. Great point. Um, you know, I think yeah, the advice that I would have and something that we've had to get comfortable with is to be incredibly flexible, right? We may be a little bit more flexible to work very closely with, uh, you know, the ones that are purchasing, obviously, the hospitals, the providers, knowing that, right, to your point, their margins are shrinking. And some of that, and I failed to mention this uh, during the first question that Skinner asked me, you know, one of the other challenges when you think about labor, right, the contract nursing and 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 everything else that happened, that ate that significantly ate into the providers' margins. And something that was just again unbudgeted, uh, uncalled for, where state state regulators and policymakers are trying to help re- regulate that uh, as best as possible, but it trickles all the way down to their buying cycles, right? If they don't have the money to pay for this stuff, even though physicians are saying, hey, we need to upgrade our technology, it becomes this vicious cycle. So 100% agree with you. Uh, For us, we have to listen intently to their needs. Um, And so we've been very flexible, and and I think other companies have as well, around um, purchase programs, right? Rather than just an outright purchase of the product, you know, there's always the lease to own, right? There's, There's the disposable side of it, making sure that it meets their needs. Um, you know, evaluation sort of uh, capital as well. Um, and so, again, we usually, based on some of the, the the financial arms that we will use to help with that capital piece, um, we usually can be pretty creative to make sure that we meet their needs uh, to be able to to bring in the equipment maybe a little bit sooner um, than uh, than than what they typically could, just based on you know what they have as far as revenue and everything, cash on hand. So Scott, you re- you reference buying cycles. Let, let's take the converse of that from the med tech perspective, sales cycles for a second. What are some of the trends you've seen as far as your sales cycles for capital, as well as those high end consumables you referenced? Yeah, it's funny, uh, Skinder. You know, being that you and I are from sales, that's the first place I go to, and and it's a very delicate balance between. You know, it's easy for me to sit here, right, and take a look at spreadsheets and spreadsheet selling and numbers that we have to, and then pipelines and everything else. But does that doesn't necessarily translate into the field and, and local, right? The reps are like, hey, you know, I need a. Can you be patient with me a little bit, right? Like, and I'm sitting here saying I can't because I got a boss and I've got investors that I've got to wait. So it's finding again that middle. Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, as long as when we look at opportunity reports and pipeline and really being able to make sure that we're targeting our customers appropriately, the last thing I want to see is that a rep, uh, certainly from a field standpoint, a rep is going out there and targeting a hospital that has really absolutely no need or desire to bring in this technology, right? There's a lot of hospitals out there, I think. So for first and foremost, qualifying right properly these accounts and making sure that there is that identified need and that you're providing that solution. And once they both come into agreement, all right, then we track and say, okay, so let's just make sure that we're measuring appropriately and professionally through a little bit of that nudge and persistence, um, you know, making sure it aligns with both ours and, and their timelines, while at the same time, making sure that as soon as you have one or two or three of these capital pieces of equipment hit and, and get executed, implemented, and obviously paid for that you've it's it almost becomes a cycle three roll off three come in and it's almost a conveyor belt um making sure that we are balancing that appropriately both internally as well as making sure that the uh, the hospitals are, are on track as well and the number one thing that we always ask is how can we better help you how can we set those expectations is there anything we can do to better support you through evidence uh you know timing support whatever it may be have you seen a, a market increase and extension of that sales cycle timing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, for sure. Okay. I'm and, both and, consumable and capital? I definitely, I would say, yeah, both. I would say the you know, capital is always going to be a little bit of a longer sales cycle. But that's where, again, I would... I would uh, you know, I want to share that we try to be as extremely creative as well as flexible to that of the uh, of the hospital system. So a lot of times what we're saying, just based on the cost of our capital and the programs that we can put together for them, as well as the disposables, you know, we make it, we make it easy for them to go ahead and acquire the product without owning it, but while still trying to bring it in, because there's certain, there's certain volumes, right? Um, or, or thresholds that may not necessarily have to go through a, a certain channel that we can come in under, but slowly over time. Um, the other thing I think is kind of interesting too, we talk about, and Barbara, you, you may be very familiar with this with your experience on the value analysis side. One of the questions they always ask is even from a capital perspective, okay, well, why are we needing this, right? Are right. we replacing antiquated end-of-life technology or is it just because the physicians want it, it's the next generation technology and what is it going to replace on my shelf? Mm -hmm. So one of the other things as an organization, MedTech, uh, you know, supplier is, we're looking at um, taking a look at internally all of our devices that we have and how physicians are guiding us to use them and the capabilities of these devices to expand indications as well as expand into different disease states. So if I go to a hospital system, I say, hey, I've got a system here, almost a hub that can do PAD, DVT, and CAD. So it's really a three all-in-one system while you've got three other pieces of capital and it's that value economic proposition um, that we can provide to that, uh, you know, hospital that usually helps maybe accelerate the, uh, the sales cycle. Yeah. How's the commercial, how's your commercial effort changed or the face of your commercial organization changed really since like 2019 to, to now? I imagine it's been fairly substantial, but can you maybe talk to, to how you're thinking about that? Yeah. Uh, another excellent question. Um, you know, we're, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I have you say it was a better question than, than Skender's, just out of curiosity. It was a better it's question. A, yeah, oh, so far you are winning three to nothing so. for yeah. sure. On, Good. I mean, you 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 can tell you were prepared for this, whereas Skender's I, like Googling questions to ask right now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've already asked the producer to edit that whole part. <laughs> so just That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not going anywhere. It's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but Scott, again, uh, you know, good insight. I think it's it's interesting because we talk about this all the time. I think, um, again, coming from a sales background, you know, we get wrapped up into what our competitors are doing on a daily basis. And, and we are, again, I would say mid-cap, maybe small to mid-cap. And so when you look at some of the competitors we compete with, you know, they have a very formidable, very large size sales, um, you know, sales team. Again, it goes back to making sure that based on who we have, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're qualifying appropriately to make sure that, uh, again, our targets, right, the sales cycle, they are wanting to work with us as much as we are wanting to work with them. And then I think the other side of it, just, and this is probably more specific to our business, but commercially, it's not just about the sales rep anymore, Right. Um, what these hospital systems are looking for is, hey, you're a rep, especially on the med tech side, cardiovascular, you have to be extremely proficient in in supporting these procedures, knowing the complexity of them. So in order to make sure that we meet the the needs of of our customers, we have our sales reps as well as our clinical specialists, right? So we have a team approach. As a matter of fact, one of my business, it's one for one. So for every sales rep, I have a dedicated clinical specialist that are meeting the needs of my sales rep to make sure they're both meeting the needs of the uh, the provider. Because, yeah. and some of it is, you know, we touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, obviously you got to keep church and state separate, but we become almost an extension of their staff within compliance mm-hmm. above board. Of course, but we're there to help make sure that maybe a limited amount of staff members know what wire to pull, right? What cat, what sheet to pull, what, whatever, maybe to pull, we are the advocates in there. And one of the biggest things we, we just did a grand rounds not too long ago with a, with a group of physicians that I thought it was so interesting what um, he said to us. And I, I hope this is valuable to this podcast is, Hey, don't necessarily think that it's all about the device. You may have an inferior device, right? Compared to another product that I have on the shelf. But if I have comp, Confidence, meaning that your rep has competence and to be able to support that device over maybe a competitor, I'm going to call you first, right? So we have to make sure that the med tech teams or or industry that is out there, as much as you love your device and your technology, you better love your people just as much because they're probably a greater asset in that room than sometimes your technology. That was always a question that we had on anything from a procedural OR point of view was with the physicians and surgeons asking them how important is the rep Mm -hmm. and the support you're going to get. And that was part of sort of the grading system about what they were able to do in things. Because what people learned during COVID is they lost a lot of those support folks because the company was looking at their uh balance sheet and mm-hmm. and maybe you know laid off or deferred mm-hmm. some folks for a while and then some of those providers were stuck where's the help normally you're up asking people questions you're up helping to solve problems so glad to hear that that's you know back and uh very important yeah it's it's internally for us and and again it, it was something i mean perfect example right skinder back in the day that was selling a dialysis catheter he acted like he knew what he was selling and acted like he knew what that device was, but he did, yeah. right? Right. It was just oh, no. all about getting the product on the shelf. We have we have certainly changed, I think, overall. This is just not specific to Andy Dynamics. We focus intently on the sales training. It's not, hey, how to sell a device. It's how to clinically, right, support the device. 
Um, because again, you're going to be asked upon, you know, to be able to do that. So, uh, it's something that we are trying to qualify credential our reps because, you know, we get asked all the time by hospital systems to your point, Barbara, which is, Hey, are you even credentialed to support this device and this procedure? Right. And if so, could I see that, that paperwork and that documentation? So again, very intent focus on making sure that every rep that we bring, bring in goes through a very exhaustive uh, qualified and also credentialed process to be able to support these procedures. So part of that confidence that you talked about for a sec, just there in, in the onboarding process, how is that, <clears throat> how has that changed a little bit in the spirit of the constant turnover within the hospital, right? When you, you're, you're in there, you're doing a procedure with a rad tech or a surgical tech today, but next, next thing you know, tomorrow, there's three new rad techs, surgical techs, whoever it may be. How has that changed for you and how have you adapted to that? Yeah, I think we're better in some pockets than we are in others. And what I mean by that, and this is no disrespect to some of the, maybe some of the territories that we have, uh, it's more from a tenure's perspective is that as long as we know that we have, you know, we have a group uh, or or a customer that has been loyal to us, we have strong relationships with the with the physicians, right? The end users of the actual device. It's, it's important that we are, again, we feel as though we are kind of an extension of the staff of that institution when there's turnover. Hey, we're not in there to, to you know, every day showing up to sell them anything more. We're there to help support them. We're here, there to help uh, educate them. We're help, here to help, you know, make them aware of maybe certain evidence that is coming out or other cases that were there. So I, I think it's something that on behalf of the organization itself, you have to, as well as the RBMs and everybody else that are leading these teams, be mindful of hey, you're not always selling, right? You've got to be educating. You've got to be training at all times based on the revolving door in some of these hospitals. And when you can kind of put the correlation together as, hey, as long as you're always helping gain edu- or awareness and edu- continuous education, you're, you're just naturally organically, right? You're going to get the sale, right? They're going to want to use your product time and time again. So uh, it's a great point. Hey, I think you actually scored, right? We got one point on the board. Well, I got a better one then. I got a better one. Um, how did, because uh, normally if you have a rep who is not technically competent in their technology, they're selling on good looks and let, and yet Skinner appears to have done decently in his career. So help me understand that. How's that possible? <laughs> okay. No, all right. Um, I'll move on to the next one. I think we all know the next one. It's great. I've never oh, seen beauty amazing. sales take somebody so far forward, but hey, whatever, whatever it takes. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Um, so Scott, um, let's say that we're let's say that you're not at Angiodynamics, which again, great. Uh, I agree with you, Colleen, our our producer commenting that uh this is what everybody wants to hear. It's just a bashing of Skender. When, when the audience hears this, this podcast is going to be three minutes long. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything's gone. No, my, my mom will be very upset. By the way, Scott, our number one listener is, is my mom. She listens to this on repeat. Hey, so. mom. Yeah. It's great to see you. Uh, yeah. So uh, question for you. So think about if you're a smaller company, like AngioDynamics is a is a you know large company can make investments in these kinds of things that have long-term payoffs to them. How do you think about it if you're just getting out the gate with a, a device that has capital component to it? Any any recommendations or strategies to someone who may be sitting in that seat? Yeah. And and you know, Scott, as as much as I, I appreciate that, I would love to think that we're a large company, but you know, again, looking at our our overall revenue, I would say that we're a little bit in that mid-cap. Now, that being said, 
Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between us and even the smaller organizations. Uh, one of the biggest things that you mentioned, right, that we have to be always mindful of is uh, time and money, time and money, time and money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't make up more time and you never seem to have enough money. So we have been very thoughtful and very intentional without being undecisive or indecisive, right? You can't, because again, it goes back to the time. So, you know, it's interesting, Skinner and I were talking about this not too long ago, is that it's, it's you've got to, you've got to basically create a, a culture within the organization, whether it starts, whether it's the engineers, whether it's the executive, whether it's the sales VP, the operations, that you're going to have to take some risks, right? You got to throw a shot every once in a while. Um, and it's okay, right? If, you know, you, you miss, right? You just, you miss, you learn, all right? You redirect because that's the beauty of being a smaller company. You don't have all the policy and the paperwork and the bureaucracy that you typically have to go through. So be fast, be quick, be decisive, but also try to be very thoughtful and diligent in where you're spending your money. And if you can do a little bit of all of that up front, you're going to be good. I tell my, I, I, I still coach my kids in soccer. And when they were little and as hard as this was, right? It's like herding cats. As hard as it was, Sometimes when you're learning to dribble, all they want to do is go so fast. You remember the cone drill and you want to go in between everything and they're all over the place, right? Because they're out of control. I always tell them, hey, the more control you end, the more thoughtful you are with your approach, the faster you will be. It's okay to take a little bit of time on the front end, right? To look at where you're going and what you want to do, because then when you finally decide that, right, you're going to go a lot faster than you would have if you just went out there and did something. So I don't know. I try to think about in, in terms of that and and I've learned we've we've made some great decisions. Uh we've made some that weren't so great. I'll never say it was my fault. It was all no, I'm just kidding. You know again. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but you just you got it, you gotta fail fast. Uh but you also have where you do have a little bit of time, uh be in control, be thoughtful, be mindful of where you're spending uh, that time. Oh and the other thing too is you know <laughs> I I we do not have a dedicated chief medical officer right, or any sort of physician on staff, um, okay. you know, which which we, we will as we get into this. But, you know, I always don't be afraid to reach out to your end users. Right. They and ask them right up. Don't tell me what we want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, they will sometimes be your biggest advocates because they see it on the inside, whether they're even in the specialty that you're trying to get into or not. They are a wealth of information. Uh, they love to hear themselves talk. They love to teach, right? So tap into that as often as possible without having to go through a super expensive, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. VOC and everything else. It's okay to pick up the phone, pull up that Rolodex. Those relationships uh, that Skinder always had that I was jealous that he had, mm-hmm. uh, tap into them. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you made a very good point because it's the physicians that are gonna to need to sell it internally as well. And they're going to say, you know, here's what I see as a gap, you know, in this particular kind of care. And if we only had, and what does it do? So then they can help to explain it internally so that we can build, help build that case for where are we? And it's not just, all the finances and everything else is what's happening with the population of patients that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And we have a high disease state in which we have these gaps in care and what are those reasons and can it fill it? And so those are very important points. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, You know, one of the things that we see and that we're trying to do a little bit of a better job, and, and this might be, 
you know, relatable to others listening on this podcast is, you know, when you're going in to any health system, right, you've got to do your prep work. You've got to, I mean, there's a wealth of information, whether it be through definitive healthcare or online or whatever, you look at the patient population, you look at their, you know, the insurance coverage that they typically have. Uh, we actually try to put together our own pro forma for them. And not only are we talking to the end user of physicians, a lot of times we're going to talk to, um, you know, the non-interventionalists, right? So, you know, perfect example for, again, PAD, we're going to the podiatrist, we're going to general cardiology, we're going to primary care sometimes, right? Within that geographic space so that we can come in and say, well, hey guys, just so you know, based on the, the market uh, analysis that we have, if you really want to build this program, and this is not on behalf of you having to do so, more for us to collaborate with you through marketing, awareness, or whatever, you can treat more patients. And oh, by the way, that should improve your bottom line and, and margin based on all that homework that we've done. So um, you have the requesting physician, but a lot of times it's those referring physicians that you also want to get on board because then they're going to be sending those patients directly to the physician that's raising his hand or her hand saying, I want this technology. I want to treat these patients. I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, we have them as long as they come to me on a consistent and constant basis. What you just described, Scott, is um, what I tell companies is the difference between the companies that have a great growth trajectory and those that don't, which is it's not just about clinical, right? Right. That you have to have the clinical benefits of whatever the technology is, no questions asked. Yep. But what we're seeing, and this is back when I was running the GPO and when I was running sourcing for Mercy and others, like you clinical, but then you also have to think about the financial piece, like you described with here's a pro forma. We would have companies that would come in and they had no idea about what the financial impact was. And then we'd have other people come in and they would have built out for us, hey, here's how much, how much revenue you're going to make when you adopt this technology. And one of those sailed through the vac and one of them didn't. And then the final thing that you said, which again, I'm just, I think you're really right about this, is the operational considerations of employee turnover inside an IDN or a health system. How do you make sure that that you as the, the organization are consistent as people cycle through? It just sets you up for success. So I mean, kudos to you, because those are those are the three things that we used to tell people, clinical, financial, operational, are the things that make companies successful. And, and, you know, Scott, I, I, we, we watched this exact same sort of acceleration based on when we're prepared, obviously, than when we're not and, and yeah. how differing, uh, you know, the, the adoption is. The one thing, too, that we recently, I should say recently, but to close the loop on all of that, right? When you get that product in there and there, you know, you, you help build the program, don't stop there, right? One of the things that we always tell our field uh, representatives of the commercial team, whether it be clinical and or uh, the sales rep, is, hey, we get images, right? We get to see the outcome, the patient outcome. We get to see the good results. We also get to see them coming to the hospital. So take all of that information. The end user has seen it, but go back to the referring physician and sit down and educate and say, hey, by the way, with your help, your patients that you are responsible for, that you sent to him or her, I will tell you, look at what you're doing. Look at the outcome. Look at the technology and how it helps serve. And all of a sudden that starts to spread. And oh, by the way, coincidentally or not, you start to see more patients start to come through, right? For that physician, mm-hmm. because it's that, it's that, you know, continuous loop of saying, thank you. Thanks for making me aware. The patient's happy. And then that referring physician is like, oh, I'm, okay, I did my job, right? I'm, I'm doing my job well, and that's a great result. So be mindful of that. Don't stop at just the sale. Don't stop at just the actual end user or the use of the product. Make sure you're circling back and be proud of what you're doing together in collaboration with the health system. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's also important from the your manufacturing side that your folks that are out in the field, when they're at the you know the procedure side and they're there with the physicians, surgeons, patients, those sorts of things, whatever they're hearing about what else could be improved or how can we even do things, but you know, sort of. Uh, doing that communication internally and keeping that flowing. Because when you hear from those referring physicians on that, the referring physicians might say, but I'm seeing more patients that now have this. And maybe we can help to cure that on this end. So it kind of goes in all the directions. So a perfect example, and if if you don't mind me sharing this, is is when we acquired this uh, this product from this Israeli startup. It was Eximo uh, at the time, and we have since rebranded to Arion. But it is again, it's an atherectomy laser uh, that is extending into DVT and coronary. Uh, we we you know we acquired it almost based on because it had zero sales, right? Zero sales, zero people to come with the acquisition. But it had a phenomenal IDE. But we all know how IDs IDEs are; they're a little bit controlled, right? Now we want to see what it can do in real world evidence. Uh, and the one thing, this is what I would say small companies need. It's a necessity that you have to do is constantly be listening to the end user and go into it with a very open mind. When you go to some of these KOLs and say, hey, I would love to hear from you and value your opinion. Tell me what it is we have and what we don't have, right? So that we are making sure that when we're now selling, educating, you know, providing, right, whatever our messaging to other physicians, that we're truthful and that we're accurate, right? I don't want to go in there and sell them something that, you know, we say it's, oh, it's so great in this, it does this, and when actually it doesn't. So we were very thoughtful around, hey, tell us what it does, tell us what it doesn't. And oh, by the way, what are some improvements that we don't see that you do that we can make? And I will tell you, when you listen intently like that, and then not only do you listen, but you take all of that advice and put it into action, and about 12 months later, you come out with that enhanced iteration of the device and you go back to that same position, they're blown away. Because most of the time, and I mean no disrespect to some of those other very large manufacturers in this uh, industry, uh, they think, hey, we are the biggest, we're the best, we've already figured this out, like we're pretty smart, and so you don't need to tell us that our device isn't that good because we know it's great. We go into it going, hey, listen, we think it's good, but we know it can be better. And we're not going to know that until you use it and tell us very candidly what we can do to improve it and making sure that my executive team and my engineers know that, hey, anytime we launch something, that's Gen 1. And 12 months from now, we better be on Gen 4, Gen 5. And that constant improvement not only helps, obviously, with the patients and the outcomes and the safety and our end users, uh, but it helps create loyalty. It really, really does. Because we're we're telling them well, doing yeah. what we say we're going to do. It it creates sort of this uh, picture of the company as well. Mm-hmm. So you line up a lot of different things because you know when you guys aren't there and we would be sitting at a table talking about all this stuff, we'd say all these great things about this and that. Yeah, but did you hear this piece? Not yeah. quite sure. So <laughs> that was always about Skinder. Yeah, but they've got mm-hmm. Skinder on their team. Like, That's are true. you sure we want to do this? He's a big man. So <laughs> is that is that what it was? Because again, I'm still I haven't listened to anything you said, Scott, because I've been trying to figure out how did Skinder survive in sales for so long. He's but. very charming. That's what it is. Yeah. 
You got to get a smile. (laughs) One of the things that we talked about, and I want to make sure we get to um, here on the call is, you know, Scott, before we started recording, you were mentioning inpatient or inside the big wall, the big house versus uh, shifting to office-based procedures. What do you see in there? What's your, what's your thought? Yeah, I would I would say I mean there's so there's there's really the well, the one side of my business that's no surprise atherectomy certainly has shifted and look I think there's a lot of I would say maybe uh, misperception out there um, you know around oh OBLs they're they're doing it physicians are opening it uh, because uh, the reimbursement is different right it's the government the C the way that CMS even the private insurers how they pay for an outpatient procedure versus inpatient. But really at the end of it all, it's basically just shifting from right pocket to left pocket from a hospital that takes the money versus a physician that gets the money if it's an OBL. I would say, um, you know, I, I absolutely see there's tremendous benefits because a lot of our, because of the, the the access that these physicians get, a lot of them are moving into this boutique sort of, hey, it's almost spa-like. We're not just here to do a procedure, but we're here to give you an experience knowing that this is a very a difficult time for you, but we can fix you. We can help you, but we can do it in a much more boutique, uh, personal, intimate experience way. Because again, no disrespect to hospitals. I think one of the biggest complaints that we hear from physicians is the bureaucracy, the policy, the paperwork is taking away from bedside patient care, right? Mm -hmm. And you get so much more of that in the OBL setting than you do maybe in the hospital because you're just always running around, you're, you're doing everything. So I see, I definitely see both sides of it. Um, the challenge, uh, one of the challenges I would be, you know, for, for others that are wanting to get into this, this side of the space is phys- some physicians are extremely skilled at doing procedures, but they're not good business owners, right? Mm-hmm. Don't know really how to pay their bills on time. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the place. Uh, you know, and I get it. Sometimes one of the things that we're seeing and it's starting to become a little bit more difficult is you know, the, they're waiting, right. In order to make payroll, they're waiting on once they've submitted their billing, uh, it's taking longer and longer. What used to maybe take a four week turn has now turned into six months, right? Like everybody's trying to hold on to the cash as long as possible, uh, before they give it up. And so it's causing a little bit of a, it all trickles down because then they come back to us and they say, Hey, instead of 30 day terms, can we get 60 actually on second thought, can we get like 120 day terms maybe? And then also we become the bank, right? So there's 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 pluses and minuses. It goes back to be thoughtful, be mindful, set the right expectations uh, with those individuals. Start to understand, hey, how, you know, what is your volume? How do you do? Do some credit checks. All those things that you know may sound like standard business, but uh, you'll be surprised how often you you miss those finer points because you're so focused on the sale. Yeah. I, just one of the things that we see in the industry is a lot of this specialization, right? You have folks that are really niching down, which is really different than where we were about 10 years ago, where everything was consolidating into the big house. Do you think that your sales team, or your, I'll just say broadly, your commercial effort, does that change as more things move out of the big house and the offices? Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I've, I've got, you know, it's interesting. I've got one team that is solely focused on hospital because almost 95, 99% of the procedures are happening in the hospital. So then I got one that is a little bit split, right? Our business right now is about 75% of OBLs, uh, but 25% of the hospital. So the the nice thing is typically you're going to have that physician, unless it's academic, you have the physician that treats both in the private OBL setting, as well as in, they still have, obviously, you know, they're still working in the hospital. So you're kind of following the back and forth. The good news is you know, they kind of understand your system. So it becomes a little bit more efficient for the reps to get to where you need to. 
Um, but I will tell you, uh, it's something that I think every organization has to be mindful of. Our healthcare economics team and, and uh, our VP of, of regulatory, we're always monitoring, working very closely with societies to understand, hey, with all these proposed rates, what's going up, what's going down, where do we think it's going to shift? Because as you start to create products or your sort of five-year strategic plan on innovation and or where you want to continue to grow, again, you got to be mindful of, you got to follow the codes. You got to follow the reimbursement. It's real. I'm not just saying it's all about economics, certainly about the patient, but at the same time, it has a tremendous impact and influence on what gets used uh, and where. Yeah. Are you finding yourself having to educate the physicians equally on some of the, just the dynamics of the healthcare business model? Yeah, you know, you know, some of them care, and they and you they do. They want to hey, they, like because you know we're close based on what analysts say, investors say, and everything else, and the industry trends. Some don't at all care. They're like, man, I just I put my head down. I want to do my business or do you know just do my job. Uh, others that you can tell the ones that that do care. They're thinking about hey, should I take my business somewhere? Right? Should I start to open this up? Where's it going to go, and why? Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think the other part of it, it's really interesting and Skinder, you, you'll, you'll appreciate this is most of these OBL single centers, right? They are kind of standalone private centers that are owned by the physicians. Some hospitals are starting to own these, but now you got a lot of these VCs where they've got a lot of money and they want to spend that money. So what are they doing? They're buying these things up. And I think what they're going to try to do is maybe a little bit of like this ID and GPO side of things where we're going to standardize, right? We're going to own you. We're going we're gonna to clean out redundancies. We're going to become more efficient. And oh, by the way, we're going to drop even more to the bottom line. So it's going to be interesting, whereas physicians were getting purchased by hospitals. Now physicians are getting purchased by VCs. Mm-hmm. And then soon they'll all be run by CVS and Walgreens. So <laughs> soon, Or Amazon. We're good. Or Amazon. Right. Mm-hmm. Elon right. Musk has probably got something going on right now. I have no idea. Yes. yes. Mark Cuban called- owns a pharmaceutical company, so I, yes. anything is possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we're, uh, we're, we're kind of teetering towards the long end of the curve on this one. So th- this has been fantastic. I think uh, we're going to wrap up a little bit with just some final thoughts um, and, uh, and, and kind of go from there. Scott, you've been a fantastic guest. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but uh, let's get Barbara, Barbara, what final thoughts do you have? Well, Scott said some really great things about listening, make sure of a need, doing your homework. So if you go away with three things, I'd say that was at the top of the list. Yeah. And thanks, Scott. Absolutely. Yeah. Scott I'll echo that. Um, I was afraid this was going to be like a Highlander thing where like only one Scott can exist. So <laughs> I'm glad that you did. But didn't... did you go through the stones? They're on tonight. But anyway. <laughs> it's good. <right? laughs> um, so I think, um, first of all, thanks for coming on. This has been fantastic. Um, Second of all, thank you for helping Skinder through his earlier career. Awkward stage, whatever it was. Yeah, it's just bring, dragging Awkward him along. It's good. Uh, and and just kind of final thing, I just wanted to um, reiterate kind of something I said earlier. Like AngioDynamics has always been, you've always been recognized as an incredible company, both when I was at Medtronic and Covidian and then at, at Mercy, you have a tremendous reputation. And I think it comes down to what you described that we talked about earlier. is like great clinical value that you can deliver, but then also ahead on you around, okay, what are we doing from a financial perspective um, to to help make this technology investment worthwhile for the the providers that 
you know, get the technology. And then equally, and frankly, more importantly, for the value of the patients that can receive it. And not to go too far down that road, but one of the things that is a personal frustration of mine and many of ours is there's so much great technology out there and so many people that would benefit from it that don't even know it exists. And I think that's one of the things that you brought up that that really is valuable is to run through the finish line on the sale to understand that's the start of the race to then bring more patients in and, and get them the care that they need and deserve. So kudos on that. And then the final thing is that operational piece of just being that consistent red thread throughout how you're treating certain patient types, uh, particularly yeah. as we see this turnover. And I think it's calming down a little bit, but it's going to continue on. Um, and so I think those are really what I took away from what you described, that if somebody's taking notes, those are the notes that I would take down and say, hey, how do I do those three things? And there's other stuff, but that'll get you 80% of the way there. Yeah. And Scott, if you don't mind, I'll just add one one thing that you that you mentioned um, that I kind of failed or, or forgot to mention is that closing the loop on the sale, you know, one of the things that we've seen, and this was a product of COVID, um, you know, when we weren't able to physically be in front of the customers, uh, you know, our customers, basically, we started doing this virtual sort of peer to peer. And it became absolutely amazing. And we started qualifying our customers to say, hey, listen, I know you want our device. I know you want our technology, but we're actually not going to bring it in until you've had a conversation with a peer by yourselves, right, that we'll set up um, so that you fully understand exactly what this technology does and does not do, as well as you can hear from an end user. And it's, it's amazing when you take the company and the organization kind of out of it. And you just have two individual physicians that are really looking for the same outcome, which is patient advocacy. And they can just like, you're sitting at a bar, shooting the shit, drinking a beer and just saying, Hey, yep. tell me about this, right? What's good. What's bad. And when they do all of a sudden then we get the call back and saying, yeah, I want it. I got, I, I got to bring this in. So uh, just be mindful to everybody that may be listening. Don't be afraid to ask for that, you know, sort of help, let them sell on your behalf, but do it through education, do it through advocacy, do it through guidance and training, but from the physician, um, because they're happy to help, especially if they believe in your technology and they believe in you as an organization. Uh, And that's the other thing we try to lean on is, hey, we're we're kind of the underdog, right? Kind of root for us a little bit. Uh, If they like you, they want to work with you. They, you know, uh, it's amazing what they're willing to, to do for us, as opposed to maybe some of those other organizations. Yeah, that's awesome. Great insight. Thank Absolutely. You. I love that. I love that. And Scott, we'll give you a chance to give a, one final piece after this. I'll go before that. Uh, first, I have to take off my flak jacket because uh, I've been taking a lot of <laughs> shrapnel on this call. Uh, clearly, anytime envy and jealousy are mixed with insecurity, uh, <laughs> we, we have the outcome of what's happened today. Um, we've also learned that it takes two Scots to take down a Skender. Um, <laughs> so, I take that as a challenge, by the way. And um I'm all in. Let's do another 60 minutes. I think we got this. Let's go. I'm clearing (laughs) the calendar. So with that, uh, the the key takeaway, and and Scott, thank you very much for agreeing to be on. Really appreciate it. Uh, Not surprised you give some incredible insight uh, to the the audience as a whole. The key things that I took away are the necessity and kind of mixed in with what you just referenced. Uh, Listen to your customers. Ask them questions. I feel like people are like, I'm not hearing from my customers, but people aren't even asking the question. Ask the question. And then the second thing that you really talked about was the flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. If you ask them questions, don't come to the conversation with the answers. Come to the conversations with a clear mind. Listen to what they have to say. Take that back and be flexible in your approach. Because I think at the end of the day, I mean, I think we all forget. We hear Dr. So-and-so. We hear Cleveland Clinic. But we're still dealing with people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what people want. Um, yeah. And I think that was the the key takeaway that I heard from you today. So, Thank you. With that, we'll give you the final thought on this, Scott. 
Yeah, no, uh, you know, first off, again, Skender, in all due respect, uh, you know, it's it's a form of flattery when when we get to, to poke fun at you. Uh, but again, I, I appreciate you giving me, obviously, this opportunity as well as the access, right, for this platform, for, for people to continue to learn. We're all in this together. I think you said it really well around, hey, at the end of the day, we're all people. Um, and, and one of the things we talk a lot about at AJ Dynamics is, you know, that constant curiosity, right? Don't go in just immediately selling your solution or your messaging, but just ask a lot of the questions, be thoughtful around what they need, finding the, the, the balance between, you know, the solutions that will help them and us being somewhat nimble. And for those other companies that are listening that are small, you have the ability to be agile, uh, flexible, right? Uh, call an audible when you need one or where you see one, because I tell you in the long run, Right when you meet their needs, but you do so, uh, you know, from a, a, an intentional spot, uh, you're going to win out in the long run. Um, and so, it's one of the things that we we try to pride ourselves on. Uh, and it's amazing what has happened. Uh, listening to them uh, and then applying that to to not only maybe a handful of physicians, but what what that does for everybody else that basically wanted to to say the same thing but didn't, but they 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 adopted. So. Uh, again, I'd be more than happy to do this again, round two, right? Uh, but thank you very much for the opportunity uh, and to the entire panel. It's nice meeting some of you, seeing you again, uh, and appreciate the questions. Great. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take care, guys. Bye. What has stayed true the last few years is that healthcare is incredibly dynamic and things are changing. While 2022 was focused on procedural volume, the 2023 questions are around inflation, labor, and supply chain. It's about listening intently to the provider's needs and finding programs that allow people to bring in the equipment that they need outside of purchasing upfront. Thank you to the med experts and to our guest today, Scott Senti. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the MedTech Business Academy.